This is Eric Luton, pastor of the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. The ministry of Ellerslie endeavors to once again see triumphant Christianity stride upon the stage of time, to see the church of Jesus Christ built strong to stand immovable in these times of sinking sand. We hope this podcast is an encouragement to your soul. If you would like to stream live or visit us in person or even support us financially, please go to ellerslie.com to learn more. So on the screen, I have a very key slide in this that helps to sort of divide things out. A dormant propensity versus a fostered activity. The difference is life and death. So if we were to talk about dormant propensities, it could be a very dark conversation in here. If we were to go around the room and say, okay, everyone needs to confess dormant propensities. Dormant means not active, right? It's not currently being nurtured, fostered, but you could do it. In one of those darker moments, you know, where you start to sort of fall away from God, you sort of rebel a little and you're like going your own way. Oh yeah, you could do that. Could you imagine us getting that list out on the table? It would be a very ugly list. And I don't know that anyone really would be edified by going through that list, right? The fact that we have a propensity towards something does not mean we are defined by that propensity. And yet the culture in which we live desires to define people by propensity. And actually, apart from Jesus Christ, that's the only we can't label anything. However, there is another thing that needs to be thrown into the mix, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I have two chairs up on the stage, which are symbolic of, well, two. I mean, you could say it's not very symbolic of two. It is two. Yeah, but it's symbolic of the two in Scripture. You see, we are either in the first chair and defined by this first chair, or we have transferred from the first chair and put off the first chair and sat down in the second. And this is identity. Where is our identity? Are we identifying in our life apart from Christ, which is the first chair? Our proclivities, our propensities, that which we are very capable of doing outside of Christ, does that define us? Or are we defined by Christ and what he has done for us and can do for us and will do for us if we believe? You see, they are two very different chairs with two very different outcomes. And so the way that we handle this time period in history, everyone is trying to create an identity. Everyone is, it's almost like they're trying to make up an identity. They're trying to cast a a vision for everyone else to, to, to see who they are uniquely. All first chair nonsense. So Genesis 4, 6 through 7 says it in a very unique way. It says, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? Do you remember Cain and Abel both offered a a sacrifice? Cain is the first and Abel is the second. Cain offers a sacrifice and it does not please God, but Abel's, the second, does please God. Now that's very symbolic all throughout Scripture. The first cannot please God. The second pleases God. And so all throughout history you could break you know, the first and seconds down into Adam and Jesus. And we are either of Adam or we're of Christ. We're either a descendant of Adam, which we all are, 
unless we believe and then we are grafted in and brought into the kingdom of heaven via the Son. And we are now a child of God. But look at the second part of the scripture. God, God is speaking to Cain, who he, see, he sees Cain's propensity in this moment. He knows what's going on inside of Cain. Cain is jealous. Cain has a leaning in this situation. And God says to him, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you. A better way of saying that, it desires to master you. And then look at the second part. But you should rule over it. In the NASB, it says, but you must master it. So if I were going to give the Eric Ludi edition, it would be, sin lies at the door and it desires to master you, but you must master it. Question. Can we master sin? That's an interesting question. Because everything about this message sort of comes down to that. Because if you can't master sin, that sin defines you. It truly does. And yet, guess what? Outside of Jesus, the answer is no. We, in and of ourselves, cannot master sin. It lies at our door, and our door is unlocked. <laughs> oh, no! Every single one of us is under the mastery of sin, which is why every single one of us needs the shed blood of Jesus. You see, when you are under the mastery of sin, you are in a first chair condition. And you are defined by that. I'm mastered by sin. It's called being a sinner. Yep, my name is Eric Ludi, and I'm a sinner. That would be an accurate statement. And there's all sorts of self-help groups that start right here and recognize, boy, I need to acknowledge my sin. It really helps. But acknowledging your sin is only the beginning. You must also see the need of a Savior. And then not just see the need of a Savior, see your Savior as Jesus Christ. And when you see your Savior as Jesus Christ and you turn to your Savior, you transfer chairs and you transfer to a second chair position. My name is Eric Ludi, and I'm no longer a sinner. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Did you just see that shift? You see, do I still have a propensity to sin? Oh, yes. But what is my identity? No longer am I defined by my sin which is what's called a sinner. I am now defined by Christ. And what is he? The righteousness of God. And so I, in Christ, am righteous. That's actually my new identity. I am in Christ, as Paul says it. Mastering sin, is it even possible? No. It is not possible outside of Jesus. You can't master sin, but he can, and he has, and he has made a way for us to enter into his ability instead of our own. So though we have propensity, and I like to use the word proclivity, it just is a very juicy word to describe it, we have a proclivity towards wrong. That is true. And that proclivity, even when we come to Christ, still exists, which is a real frustration for us. It doesn't seem right. Why would I still have that pull? Why am I still temptable? Isn't that weird? I'm still temptable, even though I've come to Christ. But I'm not defined by my temptability. I'm defined by his work on the cross. 
his victory over sin. And so as a result, for a Christian to know our identity is of the highest importance. The answer is found in the issue of identity. So the chair of the sinner, which is the first chair, versus the chair of the saved. Sinner, under just condemnation, saved, set free by the power of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Where is your identity? It is amazing how much we desire to be defined by a first chair in this world. The world does not applaud a second chair identity. So when you are asked what you do in life, very rarely are you going to say, oh, I'm just a believer in Jesus Christ as the answer to that question. Does that make sense? That doesn't satisfy what they're asking. You need to give them something that impresses them. You need to give them a first chair answer. Well, you know, I, I work down the street at such and such, and I, you know, you want to say a job description that causes everyone to go, ooh, they have the big bucks. Oh, wow, they have a lot of influence. We all know the game, okay? It's returning to your class reunion type of feeling. When you return to your class reunion, the last thing you want to do is come with the second chair attached to your rear end as you walk in. It's like, hey, everyone, I'm a believer in Jesus. Like, oh, let's keep that on the down low. Okay, you want to show everyone that you have figured out how to live in this world and, and truly thrive in this world in a first chair condition. So when we get asked who we are, what is our first thought? What is our response? Because that is our identity. We're showing our identity right there. We're wearing it on our sleeve. And how ridiculous would it be to come into your class reunion and say, I'm a liar, I'm lustful, I, I'm a thief. Well, you wouldn't do that because that doesn't translate well into the world. So even though you know that about yourself, you don't, and, and you have first chair identity issues, you're going to choose the ones that translate well. However, second chair just doesn't translate well in this world. And yet, it is the seat of fulfillment. When you learn to have your identity in Jesus Christ, your life works. When you struggle with first chair identity issues, it is a constant drain on your soul. It is a constant breaking down of your life and perspective. Identity. So here's a... a Eric Ludy definition of identity for today. What makes me who I am? So what makes you who you are? You could say, well, you know, <clears throat> my heritage, I'm a, I'm a Ludy. I come from a strong line of Ludies. Uh, and Ludies always behave this way, and Ludies are known for this. I could say, I am uh, such and such type of job description, and this is what I, or I'm a fan of this sports team, or I'm an American citizen. There's all sorts of things we could have as our identity. And they're not evil in and of themselves. And I want you to recognize that. Sub-identities or sub-realities of our, of our life are not wrong. The fact that I have a job description here at Ellerslie, I'm the pastor of this church, is not a wrong thing. That's a truth. However, is that where I put my hope and my, my future? Is my identity found in the fact that I'm a pastor of a church? Who are you, Eric? I want to always, first and foremost, be defined by a second chair. I am a son of the Most High God, grafted in to the Beloved by faith in the work of Jesus Christ. 
this is who I am. I am a Christian. That's what I am. I'm a Christ follower. I am a lover of Jesus, one transformed by him. That works really well in this room. You guys are really proud of me as I said it. You're like, good for you, Eric. However, to wear that second chair out of this world doesn't translate well. There are other things that are really cool to say these days. And if you say those things, it just sort of gets everyone on your side. And I've known that for a long time. There's a lot of good things I could say that would make me really cool. And there's a lot of things that I shouldn't say because they ruin my coolness. And yet I have a tendency to always say the things that ruin my coolness. Because God is training me in this exact thing. Eric, where is your identity? What is your position? I am in Christ. So what makes me who I am? What frames my view of myself? What determines my conclusions about me? You know, if you spend your entire day thinking of yourself as just lustful, proud, gluttonous, what's funny is it could be true. <laughs> and yet, what you need to do with that sub-reality in your life is turn to Jesus and say, God, I have need of a Savior. And I believe you are that Savior. And so instead of allowing this to define me, I'm going to allow your shed blood and your righteousness to define me. I am no longer ruled by those behaviors. They no longer form my identity. Jesus does. Now what's interesting here is there are all sorts of proclivities or propensities that we have in this room. When you grow up in the church of Jesus Christ, and this is why I think this is a very, very important issue, there are certain proclivities that you just cannot talk about. Even if you're not doing them, because they are extra bad. You follow me? You know that every proclivity towards uh, the edge of a cliff into the pit of hell is bad? It doesn't matter what it was, just some seem a little sweeter than others. You know, like self-pity. I always talk about it sort of like this cute little kitten. Yeah, with claws is what it has. That little kitten is a monster. Self-pity is dangerous. But if you said, yeah, I struggle with self-pity, most people are not going to throw you out of the church. And this is why I wanted to bring this up, not, not the sole reason, but I also want to say, if someone struggled with homosexuality, should they be thrown out of the church? You catch what I'm saying? In other words, the fact that someone has a proclivity or a propensity does not exclude them from the love of Jesus. It does not exclude them from the fellowship of the saints. If I was functioning in self-pity and I was giving over to that, you know that it would bring in a whole host of other vices in my life? One of the, it's a doorway sin. When you give way to self-pity, it opens up to all these other monsters to come trucking in. And I would be a very bad example of Jesus. Now, I may esteem Jesus, but my life may be completely running roughshod over the truth. What do I need? I need to be corrected. I need to be rebuked. I need to be encouraged in a different direction. And that's the same with anyone. If your proclivities or your propensities are ruling you, you need to be corrected lovingly. There's a kindness and a gentleness in the correction of the church, the fact that we all have proclivities or propensities does not define us by the proclivity or propensity. We are defined as believers by that second chair. Hebrews 
Then said he, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. What does Jesus do? He takes away the first that he may establish the second. This is a great summary of the work of Jesus. This is what he does in each of our lives. He takes us out of the first chair so that he can establish the second chair, identity. No longer are we defined by our sin. No longer are we defined by our propensity towards sin. We are now defined by his ability to overcome sin, by his conquering of sin, by his prevailing over the grave, by his righteousness, his perfection, his holiness. 1 Corinthians 15, 22. For as in Adam, the first chair, all die. Even so, in Christ, all should be made alive. You see, when you are in the second chair, you are made alive. This is your identity. I'm in Christ. I have the same propensity as anyone else that is a human on earth. And if fostered, it could be really bad stuff. However, I have been given the power of the Holy Spirit so that this life that is not that impressive, mind you, it is made of that same dust, clayish substance that everyone else's is, could be elevated in its behavior to not behave in, in accordance with its propensities or its proclivities in a first chair sense, but that it could actually begin to be conformed to the image of the dear son. And this is what defines a Christian, not the absence of vulnerability, not the absence of temptability, not the absence of proclivity, but the presence of the righteousness of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit to enable us to deny our proclivities, to deny that side of ourselves that would go in the wrong direction. We actually have power to do that. Colossians 2, 9 through 13. For in him, and when, it, when Paul uses the term in Christ, I want you to start thinking second chair, okay? Because that's exactly what it is. It could be, you could be in Adam or you could be in Christ. You could be in a flesh condition, which is being controlled by your body and its impulses and its propensities, or you could be in the spirit, being controlled by the spirit of God, his truth. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. In him you are also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in, the ba in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Jesus Christ came, and he defeated the power of the first chair to hold us. Every single one of us was stuck in a first chair identity. We were sinners. But every single one of us has the opportunity to repent of that and to put off that first chair by faith in Christ. By faith in Christ, believing in Christ, believing that he has supplied us with our identity. Believing that he has done the work actually is the same as putting off this first chair. And this is where we must live then. We must reside. We must abide in this position. 
because there's a constant pull. The devil's always whispering, but you sure do still struggle with this, but this sure does look like it's you. This is who you are, especially when someone says that to you. If someone ever says to you, and this is a very common thing, parent to child, when a parent ever says a nice label over their child, you are a thief. (laughs) Okay, now what you have is a strange identity that can easily begin to creep in. Because technically, you are a thief if you don't have Christ. That is the truth. But when you come to Christ, you're no longer defined by thievery. And even though you still may have some stickiness to your fingers and a propensity to grab that you know, a packet of gum when you're leaving the convenience store, it does not define you and you do not need to pick up that pack of gum. You see, you are no longer defined by that. You are defined by the work of Jesus and the power of Jesus. Your propensities and your proclivities are no longer you. You are a child of the Most High God. Ephesians 4.22, put off concerning you former conduct, your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. It's another way of saying, get out of the first chair. Don't live there anymore. Put it off. Colossians 3, 9 through 10. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. In other words, don't continue in a behavior of lying. It no longer defines you. You've put off that behavior. You're now in a new behavior. You're in a second chair condition. And have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Galatians 3.27, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now, when you see the word baptized, a lot of us are going to immediately think water, and it's not a bad thought because it can mean that. But water baptism is an external declaration of an internal reality. In other words, we are first baptized in Christ by faith in Christ. You know that going in and out of water isn't actually what saves you? It is faith in Christ that actually puts you in. You know, that's actually what baptizo in the Greek means. It means to be immersed in something and kept under. So then, you know, that thing is like, oh, give me it. no, it's kept under, like a cucumber is the illustration. For 40 days in vinegar, it's like, and then the cucumber's like, and it, and it can't get out, and then it turns into a pickle. It's a new food, and that's exactly what happens to us. We are put into Christ, and we remain in Christ, and we are changed in Christ. No longer are we cucumbers, guys. We're pickles. Uh, isn't that a terror? There's something, a, <laughs> something about that illustration doesn't sound like an elevation of food group. I'm not sure. But it is in the kingdom, okay? For as many of you as were put into or immersed into Christ by faith have put on Christ. So when you believe in Christ, this is technically your chair. The devil doesn't want you to know that. If you are a believer in Christ, this is your identity. No longer are you known as the sinner. You are now known as, I know this is going to be hard for some of you to grasp, the saint. But it's not based on the perfection of your behavior. It's based on the perfection of his behavior. You see, you are a saint not because you have been perfected underneath this garment of grace known as his righteousness, but because he did the work and it was perfect, and you have believed in him, and he has clothed you in it. Underneath that clothing is a very real work in process. You are unfinished business. 
but you are no longer defined by chair number one. You are no longer just the sinner. You are now the saint, which means one being sanctified. You are one that is being perfected. And so though you still have propensity, you are no longer defined by that propensity because it no longer rules you. Could you give way to it? I could ask you that question. Could you possibly, as a Christian, make a bad decision? Yes. However, could you, as a Christian, make a decision that beforehand you couldn't have before, before the cross? Could you now actually choose righteousness? Yes. You see, you actually have power now, if you use it, if you utilize what you have and exercise the grace that you now have access to, you can actually begin to see the very real working of grace in your life, which is maturing you in the kingdom of heaven, transforming you, and perfecting you. And your behavior over time is no longer what it used to be, which is why when you look at a Christian, they should demonstrate a changed life. At the very beginning, there's a lot of similarities, but there's a change still. And then there's more change. And pretty soon over time, there's no similarity between new Eric and old Eric. In fact, when I tell stories about old Eric, it is very embarrassing to even bring it up. In fact, I feel like I'm talking about someone else sometimes. Like, was that me? Did I really do that? Did I really think that way? There's a greater chasm between old Eric's behavior and new Eric's behavior. Why? Because that's just maturity in the kingdom of heaven. That's what happens inside of a saint. A saint is being converted. It is being changed. He is being saved in increments. In other words, the old Eric is being removed and that propensity is being dealt with. And God's convicting me of it, saying, what's that right there? It's like, ah, yeah, it's a leaning. It's an old behavior. It's an old pattern. And the Spirit of God will show me those. And then he gives me grace. Conviction unto repentance unto a new behavior. And this is what God desires to do in each of us. However, the fact that you still have a proclivity or still have a vulnerability does not exclude you from being in chair number two. That's just part of the growth process. For whatever reason, we are new creatures in old bodies. And those old bodies are temptable. Oh, I can't wait to get a new body in heaven, right? It's going to be wonderful to shed this thing. However, I still have this thing, and God chose this old body through which to reveal his glory of the new man. His choice, not mine. And yet, he has given me grace to walk this out. Romans 13, 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Hey guys, live in the second chair condition. Put on Christ and don't live according to first chair demand over your life. Because the first chair is going to try and call you back. It's going to say, hey, this isn't who you are. Look, see, I just saw it. You still do that. You still think that way. You still have that propensity. Come back. Be defined by me. No is the answer. As it says in Romans, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for chair number one. It says, make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in that second chair, he is a new creation. 
Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That is a critical scripture for many of us just to hear afresh over our soul. Because we have, just like this girl that I was talking to, she desires the truth. And I would attest to that in all my conversations with her. She loves Jesus. She wants the truth. But she has felt like she grew up in a conservative Christian environment which outlawed her from actually being able to process through anything that she was struggling with. Okay? I, I get that. I can understand that this isn't the easiest environment to walk through that. We're hypersensitive to the issues of homosexuality. This is not allowed, right? Hey, this is a great battle we're fighting today. And so this girl has struggled with that feeling like she's living a lie. And so as a result, she feels like she's walking the truth by finally acknowledging it. You, you see how that can work? Okay? And I want to, as the body of Christ, have a compassion in that situation to say, okay, I understand. But I also want to invite you not to let that be your identity. The fact, if you came to me and told me that you had a proclivity towards something, hopefully it wouldn't cause me to cut you out of my life, right? Because all of us do. If we all, like I said, had our little tell-all session about what we could do, if there was no governance to our life, no Holy Spirit, no eternal ramifications, boy, that would be an ugly picture. And yet we aren't in that state. That isn't our reality. We have been set free to be defined by Jesus Christ. So no longer are we to be classified under any other classification other than believer. I trust Jesus. The list of facts. If I am baptized, put in, immersed into Christ by faith, then in Galatians 2, it says I am crucified with Christ. That means my old man is no longer alive. It's crucified. That means that old life I used to live is no longer paramount and present in this body as the controlling element. I am buried with Christ. That means that old life is no longer viewable. That means a new behavior has space and room to begin to show itself. I am resurrected with Christ. That means I have new power. I'm the new creature. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus to live a new life in this body. I am a new creation, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. And in Ephesians 2.6, I am seated with Christ in heavenly places. Talk about a seat, huh? You see, there's an earthly seat and there's a heavenly seat. You see, when you live in this first condition under the identity of the first condition, you are in an earthly seat with earthly power to accomplish your ends. Your restraint of self-indulgence is earthly, and it will not make it. It will not be enough. But when you identify in Christ, he elevates your game, literally. And you are seated with him in heavenly places. You know where he is seated? He's at the right hand of the Father. He has been given all authority. His name is a name above all names. All things are beneath his feet. And where have you been placed? You have been placed in that authoritative position, which means there is nothing here on earth that controls you. Jesus controls you. The Spirit of God controls you. So don't fall for the lie that the first chair wants to convince you of, and that is that you are controlled by something other than Jesus. Or Jesus isn't powerful enough to control that element of your life. You are not defined by your proclivities. You are not defined by your propensities. You are defined by the power of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 4 through 6. 
God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Proclivity does not define you. Jesus does. Now, that's a good summation of everything we've covered so far. I don't know if you guys recognize the delicacy of what we've tried to walk through here. Because we live in a culture where coming out of the closet is the hip thing to do. And there's a part truth to coming out of the closet. And that is live in the light. In God, there is no darkness, right? He's light. So come into the light. However, that's called confession of sin in the church. It's like, I just want you to know, God, I agree with your word. This behavior inside of me, this longing, this lust inside of me is wrong. You're right. This behavior is wrong. I come to you for the solution. The church today is known for its conservatism, not always for how well it handles broken sinners. And I would love to be excellent with broken people, people that are coming out of closets because they're so tired of living a lie in their sin. I would much rather have them feel free to come out of their closet and into the light and have us ready to give them hope and truth instead of have them create a whole entire subculture to hide under, to justify it under. I desire truth to set people free. And yet oftentimes we feel like the truth is not setting people free, it's alienating because of the way that we oftentimes wield it, even unwittingly. The seed of the sinner versus the seed of the saint. It's all a matter of faith in Christ. What's, what transfers you from the seat of the sinner? Faith. Faith in Jesus. And when you have that faith, you transfer. Well, what transfers you from having your identity in your job? Faith in Jesus Christ. You see, it's the same thing. It doesn't matter what you have identity in. What, what helps you transfer from having faith in your athletic abilities as your identity? It's like, this is who I am. Faith in Jesus Christ, saying, actually, he is who I am. I want him. His life is my life. This is where I want to stand. My athletic abilities were given by him to me, and that isn't what defines me. He defines me. And if he wants me to lay them down, I'm willing to do it. You see, we are not holding on to things in this earthly sense as believers. And if we are, God needs to touch that. We let it all go. We are not defined by that. We are defined by Jesus Christ. Psalm 1, 1 through 3. This, in Psalm 1, this is the very beginning of the Psalms. In the very beginning, it's going to talk about a seat. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he, shall do, whatever he does shall prosper. Sorry about the capital letters, and that's what happens when you uh, copy and paste New King James into something uh, in the Psalms. So, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Blessed is the man who does not 
hang out in seat number one, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. I think that's a great name for this one, the seat of the scornful. The seat of the one who actually thinks that their life is all together and that all this other stuff out there is ridiculous. This is who I am. This is what I want to be. This is what defines me, the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. What happens when you transfer seats? He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. This is the result of the second seat. You see, the second seat is actually the one that bears fruit. We crave being fruitful in our life. We really do. We're designed for it. But we're being convinced by a culture that we need to identify ourselves in accordance with things that the world would understand in order to impact the world. And there's entire movements in the church of Jesus Christ of how to be cool in the world so that we can more effectively win people for the gospel. How to sit in this chair in, the, in seat number one and more effectively win people because that's where everyone is, right? You need to go to where they are. And it's not that I disagree with that, that we need to go where everyone is, but we go there with the second chair stuck to our rear end. We are clearly identified with Christ, and that's our power. The fruit comes when we clearly are willing to walk in Christ. But the way we handle those that are still in chair one is with great mercy, with great kindness, and with great love. The accusation of repression. When someone denies their proclivity, aren't they miserable? So I, I remember I was speaking on purity relationships up in the mountains uh, here, and I still remember very clearly there was a girl uh, sitting in the front row. It was a classroom setting. She raises her hand after I'm done, and she goes, what you're saying is God uh, represses our sexuality. And I go, no, that wasn't what I was saying. And she goes, that's what I heard. I go, yeah, but, but that wasn't what I was saying. That's the exact opposite of what I would be saying. God knows what he created your sexuality for, and he wants to show you how it's supposed to be used so that you can find the fullness of delight in it. It's interesting because chair number one always hears repression. But I have desires. And then God's always saying, but you can't enjoy that. No, you can't do that. And I guarantee you, more than a few of us in here have had that thought, that God is the big bummer that he wants to stomp on all our proclivities and our desires and say, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's, that's, that's wrong, that's, that's wrong. And as a result, we go to chair two and we're just like, oh, wow, this is dull. And then you look over at chair number one, you're like, boy, wouldn't that be fun? Why am I hanging out in chair two? What am I doing over here? Very common thing. And here's, I just want to address it straight on. Okay, I've spent a good deal of my life hanging out in chair number two. And one of my key factors that I have gone after many times, I have many sermons on this, is I believe, according to Scripture, there is more satisfaction in chair two than in chair one. But what if you can know it scripturally? I want to know it experientially. And wouldn't that be nice? Instead of just going, oh, I believe it, wouldn't it be nice to know it? So that was, I embarked on certain journeys before Ellerslie even started on that exact front, to say, God, I want to prove this in my life. 
And so I had to, to do that, I had to deny all sorts of chair one activities in my life, chair one things in my life, and go strictly to chair two and say, God, is this enough? Is this enough? And the guy standing in front of you is going to testify that there is such great delight in the kingdom of heaven, such massive pleasure, but it is not an earthly, sensual pleasure. It is pleasure of a different sort. It's the pleasure we were designed for. However, the only way to discover that fulfillment, that, uh, that transformation of the inner man by Jesus Christ is to give up that chair and to not keep going back to it, to try and nurse out a little more satisfaction in life that we don't seem to be getting from chair number two. So when someone denies their proclivity, aren't they miserable? They could be. <laughs> I'm not going to say that, you, that, that it's not possible that you could be miserable if you denied your proclivities. However, it depends on if you're denying your proclivities and coming to Jesus Christ and allowing him to fill you with his fullness. Because if you're doing that, I'm going to say, no, you wouldn't be miserable, even though you might go through challenge, even though you might go through tribulation, even though you might go through suffering. Wow, there is a joy in the midst of it. Wow, there is a fullness in the midst of it. Matthew 16, 25, and then you'll see that there's a lot of other options, four other scriptures I put up there too, for this very statement. For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. And I've taught this many times, but it can't hurt to teach it again. That word for life is suke, which is translated as breath of life, the soul, the center of feeling and longing, the seat of fulfillment. So whichever one of you is willing to give up the seat of fulfillment, the first one, to God, he is going to find the seat of fulfillment, the true seat of fulfillment. I should have made it all caps. The capital S seat, capital F, fulfillment. You want fulfillment? Change seats. That's actually the secret in the kingdom of heaven. Psalm 1611 talks about that. You will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures more. Do you guys know your position? In Christ. So when you're in Christ by faith, that means you're in his cross work. An old man is crucified. If you're in Christ, you're in his burial, and that means the old man is buried and no longer in control of your life. When you're in Christ, that means you're in his resurrection. That means newness of life. The Spirit of God takes the helm. And when you are in Christ, that means you're seated with him in heavenly places. Where is he seated? At the right hand of the Father. So that means if you're in Christ, your position is at the right hand. In Christ. So let me read this scripture again. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And you're like, well, that's great, but how do I get there? By faith in Christ. When you believe in Jesus, you are brought in Christ to that right-hand position where there are pleasures forevermore. This is how it works. The second seat is actually where the fullness of joy is. The second seat is where the satisfaction actually is. You see, the world, the devil, are going to try and convince you that it's all in that first seat. 
The Word of God is very clear on the matter. If you really want life, you have to give up life. If you want capital L life, you need to give up the lowercase l life. If you really want the seat of fulfillment, you need to give up the lowercase seat of fulfillment. And this is God's way. For each of you in here, I'm not sure how you're appropriating this. You know, there's some delicate issues, and some of them are cultural. And if I had given this message you know, 10 years ago, it would not have the sensitivity levels that it does now. However, it's ever-increasing heightening of sensitivity levels to this. Because I'm saying that we ought not to be defined by anything other than Jesus Christ. Other things can be true about our life, but it isn't our identity. There's all sorts of truths about our life. Ray is wearing a blue shirt. However, if Ray starts building on blue shirts, all he has is blue shirts and Ray is blue guy. And now suddenly he's known as blue guy and that's his identity and he takes a lot of pride in that and that's his entire business model is based around being blue guy. Then suddenly Ray might be convicted by the Holy Spirit to say, Ray, this is getting a little out of hand. Let's move out of first seat into second seat. I want you to be known as my guy. You see, each of us has the propensity towards a first chair, but each of us has the opportunity to transfer into that second chair. Father, we need you. This is not something that we do on our own. This is something that you do in us and through us. But Lord, you allow us to participate. And to the degree that we have found ourselves itching, either for pleasure in this world or for notoriety from this world, for applause from this world. Lord, I pray that we would freshly lay it down and that we would not try and just be hip and cool and in vogue, but that we would truly delight in being yours. Thank you for what you did on that cross. And thank you that we are no longer defined by our sin, but by our Savior's work and his righteousness. We pray these things, we declare these things in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. This message was brought to you by the team at Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Listen to our weekend message live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings, or join us for Daily Thunder Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. For more information, go to live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.